I V M. BQ Big Decisions, the Bloomberg Quint podcast that helps you make the right financial choices. If you're a long-term investor in equity, there are a few guiding principles that can help you make the right choices. First, you know that you're unlikely to make the so-called multi-bagger returns overnight. Most advisors say it's best to buy equity and let it grow for at least five years. Second, don't try to time the market. It does more harm than good. Third, be aware of the inherent risks. While you could make returns that are far superior to other investments, you stand the risk of losing as much as you could potentially gain, if not more. And four, don't simply trust your gut. Be aware of what the company you're investing in does and where it stands among its peers. That's admittedly a long list of rules to follow. It's hard enough to do a day job without worrying about which company you're going to hitch your investment wagon to. That's why financial planners advise that you put your money in mutual funds. But there's a catch here too. When you choose a mutual fund scheme that's managed by a stock-picking expert, you're trusting his or her judgment about which group of stocks will outperform the rest. And choosing the right scheme from the hundreds available is possibly as challenging as picking the right stock from over 500. But there is another option. You could choose what is called the passive route to investing in equity mutual funds. Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is BQ Big Decisions and I'm Alex Matthew. You're listening to Bloomberg Quint. Joining me on this active versus passive mutual fund debate is Ashish Somaya, the Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer at Motilal Oswal Asset Management and Pratik Oswal, the Head of Passive Funds at Motilal Oswal. Thanks, gentlemen, for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Alex. All right, so let's get to the crux of this conversation. I think, Ashish, you'll want to weigh in on this. Would it be fair to say that despite the changes in the definitions of mutual fund schemes that have been spoken about very widely, that essentially made the objectives of these schemes clearer, it's really hard to choose the right actively managed fund, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, because conventional wisdom or the usual practice uh, is to select uh, funds based on their past track records and Mm -hmm. stuff. And in my experience, you know, past track record is good enough for someone to kind of get into your consideration set. But uh, you're not concerned with their past performance, really. What you're concerned with is the sustenance or the future extrapolation of that performance. Yeah. So I don't think, uh, I mean, you know, I think that no amount of standardization can uh, eliminate this fact uh, that, you know, you are ultimately tasked uh, with identifying a future winner. Mm-hmm. And is there a perfect science to it? Not sure. Mm. And and that boils down to the manager of the fund and really studying what his strategy or her strategy is and whether it fits into your overall strategy. So you essentially have to understand some element of it. You can't go into it blind. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are two or three things to this. One, clearly, like you mentioned, uh, a particular fund manager, his track record, his ability to outperform, etc. Plus also the fact, you know, that uh, despite the best intentions and the best credentials, the fact is that market landscapes change mm. and winners rotate. Mm. You know, there is enough data and evidence which shows that, uh, you know, if you picked consistently the number one ranked fund in the past three years mm. and you put money in there and then you held it for the next three years, 
there is practically uh, zero correlation mm. uh, between the winner of the last 3 years and the winner in the next 3 years mm. so winners rotate and despite best intentions of fund managers their credibility their track record mm. the fact is that markets rotate and in certain circumstances a certain bunch of stocks is in favor mm. and then things happen and then another bunch of stocks comes in favor mm. and if you really think that you will get a fund manager who will always be at the frontier of the next cycle of growth mm. then i think that's a hard task Mm, absolutely and that's where passive funds come in the reason why we're speaking about it is it's the so called easier choice to make uh, why are we saying this uh, pratik and just for the benefit of the listeners who are tuning in who don't really know what passive funds are all about what are they um thanks alex uh, so basically um, passive funds are so there's two sorts of investing in india when it comes to mutual funds one is a type of investing called active fund called active investing where you're basically giving um um certain fees to a fund manager who who then uses those fees to sort of figure out which stocks to buy and sell and then that's basically an active mutual fund and the second type of investing is called passive investing where basically you're just giving your money and that money is going into a portfolio that just replicates an external benchmark mm. or an index mm. Uh, an example of that index is say a sensex or a nifty okay that's the most common ones but there are actually multiple indexes out there there's yeah. a mid cap index there's a mm. small cap index there's a multi cap index mm. so the idea behind passive investing is to actually you know be able to replicate or have the same returns of the index mm. so today if you're invested in say a nifty 50 index mm. or a nifty 50 index fund or mm. or an etf mm. then if the if the index goes up by 10% then the fund will also go up by 10% okay and and that's broadly and just to make the point here we have uh, had a conversation one conversation on index funds and what they are uh, we haven't gone into the details of what is the difference between index funds and etfs but broadly if we're talking about an index fund Uh, it's basically if we're talking about the nifty 50 it's investing into the 50 stocks based on their market capitalization right the absolutely. the, the weight yes, so reliance industries being the largest market cap company will have the biggest weightage and therefore most of the money if you put 100 rupees the weightage of reliance industries would be the amount that you buy in reliance industries right absolutely yeah absolutely so that so basically yeah so the, the way the index works is that um the index is actually a very self adapting sort of an index so what normally happens is the big companies end up getting a lot more money coming in and the small companies get less mm. so because of this mechanism if you think about it say 15 years ago the index was heavy on infrastructure heavy mm. on industrials mm. whereas today the index is heavy on say financial services so what happens is because of this mechanism you know the index is great because you know today at least i would say 60 to 70% of the stocks haven't gone back to their highs mm. in 2007 mm. but the index has gone up to and a half times okay so this self adapting nature is it's 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 what ensures that you always have the best quality stocks in your portfolio if you invest in index very quickly i want to understand uh, is the basic difference between etf and index fund um, the fact that one you need uh, obviously there are multiple but the the primary thing in terms of buying it is that you need to have a dmat account for one and you don't have to have one for the other yeah so 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 you know so at at motilal oswal we've actually been in the passive investing space for almost a decade now 
And we actually launched our uh, business with ETFs. Mm -hmm. So ETFs are exchange-traded funds. Yes. So they're basically passive funds, but are listed on the exchange. So you can buy an ETF in the morning and sell it at, in the afternoon. Okay. And uh, this obviously is fairly, uh, I would say, a lot, lot more popular in the West, say mm -hmm. in the US and mm -hmm. Europe, because mm -hmm. I think um, they've had 20, 30 years um, of more time to develop these products. Mm -hmm. Whereas in India, today, if you think about it, ETF is actually a very hard instrument to buy and sell because mm. there's not as much of liquidity in the exchange. Mm. So, And the reason to that is because there's so many parties involved mm. when you're buying an ETF. Um, you know, so a typical investor, especially an H&I or retail investor, you know, he has to go through a market maker, an exchange, a broker. Mm. In addition to that, he has to have a DMAT account. He can't do an SIP. So I think uh, those are some of the reasons to why I think ETFs are not the most customer friendly. So we think index funds uh, are a lot easier for the investor. As of now. As of now. I, I want to talk about this in a little more detail. But before I do, I think uh, I want to drive the conversation slightly down a different path. Uh, Ashish, we've been speaking about primarily um, about active funds for quite a few years now. Yeah. We haven't spoken as much, admittedly, about passive funds. Yeah. And that really isn't the case like Pratik just mentioned in the United States. Yeah. In fact, I was just reading that in September the total assets under index funds and ETFs in the US went beyond or crossed the amount of assets that are managed by uh, actively managed funds. Uh, and, and so it's a very large chunk of the pie over there. It's not as much here. Why do you think that is? No, I think one of the things which Pratik already mentioned is still early days, mm. uh, you know, because uh, if you see in India, the mutual fund industry and more specifically equity mutual funds, uh, I think uh, it's taken off only in the last few years, mm. maybe less than a decade. Mm. Private sector mutual funds in India are about two decades, and I think the equity cult is barely a decade or so. Mm. Uh, so I think that is one very big reason. The second reason is that in India, in the past, it has been that way, and there is a belief that uh, markets are not as efficient and as institutionalized as they have been in the uh, Western uh, mm. world. Uh, so there are probably certain inefficiencies in the market mm. which makes people believe that portfolio managers uh, can pick up certain stocks ahead of the curve mm. and they can outperform. And past data does show that uh, there have been very many managers who have consistently done better than the index. Mm. So the key, point, the key point is that I will entrust money to a manager if mm. I think he's going to do better than the average for me and the average is the index. Mm. So if I think that I can find someone who can do better than average for me, I would entrust money to him even if I have to pay a fee. Mm. But then over a period of time, uh, if I realize that all of this is not resulting in extra performance, then why should I pay an extra fee? Mm. And so then I satisfy myself with the average, which is the index. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, I think as more and more people come in, so apart from outperformance and underperformance, I think as more and more people come in, they will realize that there is a value to simplicity. Yes. Uh, you know, because when we opened this discussion, you mentioned about how hard it is to make decisions and to choose uh, portfolio managers. Yes. So uh, performance is, uh, outperformance is one. And second, I think is simplicity. Mm. So my sense is we'll get there. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much time we take to become like the U.S., uh, maybe uh, take a longer time. But uh, I think we are getting uh, started now. You mentioned a few of the the qualities, shall we say, of passive funds that probably in some situations make them better than active. Uh, but I've, I've actually, I would hazard a guess and say that more and more people talk about uh, passive funds after there has been just a bit of a bull run. 
because you will look at your portfolio and you will look at the index and you will say, okay, my portfolio is beating the index by say two percentage points, but my expense ratio is two percentage points. So really what am I gaining, especially in a situation where an index fund, the expense ratio is anywhere between seven basis points and 30. So is that a major factor you would think? Yeah, I think in India, if you're alluding uh, to, you know, a bull run, I think in India, the discussion has become a bit more active last year. Hmm. Uh, the active passive decision discussion has become more yeah, yeah. <laughs> active in the last year. The reason being that, uh, you know, the, uh, as is widely discussed, the market rally has been pretty narrow. Yes. And a lot of portfolio managers, uh, I have not seen that in 2019, but 2018 specifically, a lot of portfolio managers kind of struggled to keep pace uh, with the index. And I think that that's where the discussion started. My personal opinion is that the discussion shouldn't start and end only when there is that kind of phenomenon. Mm. I think it should be a consistent, continuous, ongoing discussion mm. because irrespective of outperformance or underperformance, the fact still remains that simplicity is something which people want mm. and people should look for. Mm. You know, why complicate things when you can have simpler solutions? Mm. And investing is one place where I don't think there is any harm if you satisfy yourself with the average. Mm. Uh, you know, like right through our childhood, uh, we are told that uh, we should try to be number one in the class and stuff. But in investing, by and large, it is seen that if you are at or around average, you'll do a good job. Is there data uh, to suggest, Pratik, that you would be better placed, especially if you were talk, talking about the long term and you're talking about five years? Hence, that's what the point that I made earlier. And that's, in fact, what most of the experts point uh, to with regard to allocation of funds, that choosing passive, especially if you have a particular goal that you're working towards, is a better idea than choosing active? I think for me, you know, so I'll, I'll give an example uh, so when I was managing money for wealthy people in the U.S., mm. and these are people who are, um, you know, they have wealth of over $25 million plus. Yes. So if, and there you've had passive funds for was 45, 50 years. Yeah. So, um, and if, if passive won or if active won, they would have had 100% of the portfolio in passive or 100% in active. Mm. But the reality is that, you know, almost all of them have a mix of the a mix of two. Yes. So I think uh, what, what I've learned uh, in my experience is that, you know, I think passive is a great core portfolio. Mm. So if someone is looking to, say, uh, invest for, say, five to 10 years plus, then I think it makes sense to have a lot of passive in your portfolio because, mm. you know, there's a lot of risk when it comes to, you know, having fund managers for that long. Sure. And, and I think the core portfolio, uh, which shouldn't be touched, ideally, should be in passive. Now, Ashish, then, you wanted to, sorry, I'll just come back to you on that one. But Ashish, you want to make a point? Yeah, I just want to, I just, you know, what Pratik said, and uh, your question and then what he said set me thinking. Uh, I meet a lot of retail customers. Mm. And I think what is one thing when you mentioned about planning for the future and the goals and uh, active and passive, at least one thing is clear that beating the benchmark mm. uh, is not a financial goal. Yes, no, clearly not. Yeah, clearly because not. a lot of people uh, think that, uh, you know, if I'm investing, I should beat the benchmark. Yes. Well, uh, the ultimate, the holy grail of investing is to reach your milestones or mm. your goals. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of people can reach their goals by generating just 8% or 9% or 10%. Absolutely. Right. You were talking about uh, why uh, you, in fact, uh, alluding to managing funds abroad. Yes. And you were saying that it's a good idea to have the core of your portfolio as passive because you're cutting out that volatility that you could potentially see in active. Are there any other reasons you would say? Yeah. That? So just simple goal planning, you know, so I think so there's two main points. 
One is that, you know, each of the funds, uh, the passive funds have a track record of 20 years plus. Okay. So when you're planning a goal for say five to 10 years, you have a lot more dependability on gain to that goal. Mm. When you have that longer track record, mm. the risk is actually consistent. So mm. the risk in a passive fund today versus 10 years ago is exactly the same. Yeah. So you can expect the same amount of volatility in your portfolio. Okay. And second, there's no underperformance. Okay. You know, so I think if you combine all of three, then goal planning becomes relatively less difficult, especially when you're doing, say, five-year-plus sort of goals. Mm. And uh, the second point is that, you know, I think uh, the low-cost nature of these funds itself. So yeah. I, think, I think what most people don't realize is that, you know, I think most people have, have, have been able to do really well over really long time periods because they managed to keep costs low. Mm. And those things add up, not maybe the next two or three years, but if you're investing for, say, 10 or 15 or 20 years, those things add up. And specifically, I think this is another uh, common uh, practice for a lot of retail investors. They tend to buy a large number of mutual funds, equity mutual funds that are actively managed. And that cost really builds up over a period of time. Rather than buying, say, eight uh, across uh, a platform, across a mutual fund uh, category uh, equity funds, wouldn't it be better to choose just one large uh, ETF or one large index fund? Yeah, I think that, you know, you're right because what I've seen is that even when people have identified a fund or a fund manager, it's not like they stick to that one or two or three Mm. funds or fund managers. I think that a lot of people love to have novelty uh, and what what do I buy this time? Mm. What looks good? What mm. looks interesting? Mm. Um, advertising and so mm. many things. Mm. And, you know, you read different things. So a lot of people do get carried away by the amount of choices and we all know there are books and books and books written on this. Like yes. Mary Schwartz has written about the paradox of choice. Yes. And I think given too many choices, people make suboptimal decisions. Yes. So the fact is that if you have eight or 10 different mutual fund schemes, equity mutual fund schemes, mm. just imagine each of them having 40, 50 stocks. Yeah. You'll end up with 350 to 400 stocks. Yeah. And you go around deduplicating it, you will still have 200 plus mm. unique stocks. Mm. Now, a good way to figure out what happens when you have 200 unique stocks is that you end up owning about 85% of the market. Exactly. Because BSE 200 stands for 85% of the market Mm. cap. So if you have 8 or 10 equity mutual fund schemes, it's a very, very expensive way of eventually mimicking BSE 200 or something like that. Exactly. So then you might as well, you know, look, if you are going to buy active actively managed equity funds, then just like you want the fund manager to stick his neck out and make certain choices to beat the index, Mm. then you as a fund picker also will need to stick your neck out and make certain choices. Mm. But if you don't stick your neck out, you have 10 different funds. That's not a choice. That is spray and pray. Yes. And then you eventually end up owning the market. Mm. So might as well end up with the market. Okay. So fair point. Now, I I want to bring in uh, just a counter argument here and something that I was uh, trying to allude to earlier. I'll I'll make it slightly a little clearer now. The reason why I think people speak about uh, passive uh, in a a bull market uh, uh, is that they've perhaps forgotten about the kind of beating that an index as a whole took during a bear market. Um, So generally, uh, the objective of an active fund manager is to beat the benchmark, either on the downside or on the upside. On the downside, the fund manager is protecting your capital. That's not something that you would see in an index fund, right? So that's something to be aware of. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're just, you're just, you're basically tracking the index. So I think there are solutions out there that can help you protect downside. But I think just at the fund level, I think it's, it's, I think you're basically getting what the index is giving you. Mm. So if the index is down 40% tomorrow, your funds will be down the, the same amount. Yeah. 
so i think that and i i think i think the reason why that that protection is also important is because when some people are doing your monthly investments month over month year on over year those actually downsides are actually good because you know those are the months where you can actually build your portfolio towards getting those uh, really good long term returns opportunities to buy sure absolutely absolutely okay. um i i wouldn't say ashish that buying passive or either and we'll get into the details of index versus etf as things stand now but i wouldn't say that buying passive is a one size fit all solution right so how do you go about allocation and after that we'll come to which you should buy in terms of index versus etf you know look even in the whole uh, mutual fund spectrum what i've seen is that uh, there are within active mutual funds also um, you know there are funds which actually uh, run their portfolios uh with certain underweight and overweight positions yes uh, vis-a-vis the benchmark yes. index yes yeah so uh, you know because what they are doing these kind of funds what they are doing is they are uh, hugging the index uh, thinking that you know if we deviate too much from the index then we well yes it might give us outperformance mm. but if it goes the other way then it might give us significant underperformance yes. also uh, so what i've seen is that broadly speaking there are the index funds or the etfs which track the index mm. and then there are a, there is a huge segment of funds which are actually index plus mm. meaning in some way or the other they are tracking the index but they are just running underweight and overweight positions which are basically their sector calls or stock calls correct and then there are uh, guys like you know for example motilal oswal on the active side is one of them mm. uh, where we run seriously active positions i mean we are running portfolios which are benchmark agnostic okay right uh, meaning that you know for example theoretically if i am negative on it mm. and it is 12% on the index nothing prevents me from being zero okay right so that's like a seriously active call okay uh, so what i have seen is that when investors are allocating their monies i think that they need to understand what kind of styles i'm saying i mean apratik already clarified our genuine belief is that you need active as well as passive, passive both in your mm. uh, allocations but then the passive should be used for certain core allocations mm. and the active should be used in order to generate a kind of a kicker or a bit mm. of uh, you know to give you certain thematic exposures mm. or to get you into certain sectors or ideas which are slightly ahead of the curve mm. take an example the first insurance company and asset management company in india got listed a year and a half back mm. now no index has these kind of themes or mm. these kind of stocks so the point is that Yeah, there is a role for both mm. you just need to be conscious how what role it's playing in your allocation mm. okay so obviously it has to you, you wanted to make a point prati yeah so just wanted to say that you know i think a lot of the conversation today i would say 90% of a lot of conversation in especially the media or newspapers is about fund selection yes is about which fund to buy which fund to sell etc mm. but you know when it comes to creating wealth you know that is just 10% of the process mm. you know it's about discipline it's about you know waiting it's all about sticking to your guns mm. and it, it's a very long and boring process it is and the moment it becomes exciting you're doing something wrong mm. so yeah. you know i think uh, so i think and, and i think studies have also already shown that you know it's not the fund selection that gives you returns mm. it's about the combination of those funds over time mm. like your asset allocation yeah so for example someone who's a bit riskier or who's younger can probably do a higher mid cap allocation yes and someone who's more risk averse can probably do maybe larger debt or more of a large cap exposure so i mm. think that is something that you know the what advisors mostly are or financial planners i mean so i think those sort of conversations are getting increasingly important mm. and we are looking at pure asset allocation that's why passives i think i think are more appealing to investors because they're much simpler 
you know, today a small cap fund might have a 35% allocation to a large cap index. Yes, yeah, that happens a, often. Yes. They might have an HDFC bank or mm. something like that, but mm. whereas a small cap index fund or an ETF might be pure. So I think when you're looking at creating an asset or multiple asset classes, you passives offer you that purity. Hmm. which I think is... Let's drill down a little bit. And this is really coming into the operational part of this conversation. And I leave it up to you to who will take this. Uh, if somebody is sitting down and saying, okay, I need to make a significant allocation towards an index fund or, uh, or an ETF, which should they choose? No, Pratik. I think, yeah, I think, I think every investor, um, the younger the investor, the better it is for him or her to reap the benefits of passive investing hmm. uh, is to at least allocate. To, today, I tell people to allocate at least between 15 and 20% of your portfolio to passives, which is something like a core portfolio, which hmm. you won't touch until hmm. you retire. Because hmm. okay. that's when the benefits of passive are, you know, across many years, you know. So just to give an example in the US, you know, so the S&P 500, which is was the first ever index fund launched in the world, hmm. launched in 1976. Yes. You know, it survived 45 years. It's today the most popular and the biggest fund in the world, eight hundred mm. billion dollars. Mm. And uh, in that same time period, you know, you have two, you have, I think two, you have around two thirds of all other funds in the active space that mm. have shut down or merged. Mm. And out of those, maybe three or four have you know, outperformed the index. Mm. So I think uh, when you're looking at investing for long time periods, also when you're looking for investing during periods when you know, you're, um, I think very volatile. You want some some part of your portfolio which is number one low low in terms of volatility. Number two, um, I think, consistent in terms of risk mm. and something that is more long-term. Fair enough. Ashish, we briefly spoke about this before we got uh, recording on this podcast uh, between ETFs and index funds. And I think uh, Pratik broached this just a while back saying that he's tending towards advising uh, for index funds rather than ETFs. There is a bit of a discrepancy or rather there's a, diff a bit of a fallacy in terms of the cost uh, and the perception of cost, right? Yeah, People think yeah. that ETFs are significantly uh, less yeah, costly, cheaper, yeah. but that may be a bit of a fallacy. Yeah, yeah. No, so look, uh, one of the prime criteria for deciding between an ETF and an index fund, clearly one is what Pratik mentioned that mm. if you're like a really long term investor, you want to buy and you want to forget it. Mm. See, ETFs are, uh, that's so for long term index is the best. Yes. Now, ETF is for someone, you know, who's running, let us say, who wants intraday trading, who yeah. wants live prices. Mm. You know, there are people who might buy some index and short some futures. And, you know, they're running a variety of strategies, mm. etc. So that is one choice, one reason for choosing ETFs, which is that you want active, you want live mm. trade like mm. a stock. Mm. Uh, the second clearly is that, yes, you know, because ETFs uh, are listed, uh, you know, and there's no processing of transactions and all those kinds of things, the cost tends to be uh, cheaper. Mm. Uh, but you know what, uh, there is a concept of total cost of ownership, mm. which one needs to keep in mind. It's not, you know, because the cost of owning a fund is not just the total expense ratio of the fund. Mm. There are four or five things in this. One is clearly that when you buy, is there a entry cost or a transaction mm. cost? Mm. So when you buy an ETF on the exchange, of course, there's a brokerage you're going to pay and then there is STT. Mm. Uh, when you sell, there is a brokerage and there is STT. Then there is the cost of the total expense ratio of the fund. And very importantly, most of these ETFs are not very, very highly traded in yes. the markets, right? Yes. So there's this concept of a market maker whose job in life is to absorb supply when somebody's selling and give out supply when somebody is buying. And of course, they don't do it for free. Yeah. Uh, so look at it this way, like we run our index funds and the cost is 35 basis points for mm. the direct plan of the mm. index fund. Mm. Now, someone can say, okay, I found an ETF, which is only 15 basis points. Yes. So it's much cheaper. Yes. But the point is that if you pay 15 basis points for owning the ETF, mm. 
but while buying and selling if you have to pay half percent you know the bid ask spread is totally 1% mm. on half and half on both sides mm. so you know let us say the nav of the etf is 100 mm. if you want to sell the guy offers you 99 and a half mm. and if you want to buy he sells you at 100.5 yeah. so the cost is 15 basis points tr but there is a 1% uh, you lost mm. on uh, from the nav whereas in an index fund if the nav was 100 you would have got it for 99.65 on an annualized mm. basis mm. right so i think total cost of ownership is more important and my understanding in the current indian context index funds have a total cost of ownership which is lower than etfs for all of the retail investors mm. i can say that for sure mm. and if you're a really a long term investor who doesn't care for live prices and all those kind of things then you're better off just holding an index mm, a fair point there uh, just uh, a small point though obviously it might just be a conversation for another day ashish uh, but when you have that kind of liquidity for uh, etfs and you see when you see that spread reducing that's perhaps when you can look to to enter you know, if i have to if i have to hazard a guess i would say that you know the spread for nifty 50 uh, maybe uh, nifty next 50 uh, i can make a guess that yeah you know they will be they'll get finer and finer and mm. finer and mm. finer over a period of time mm. but the fact that all etfs have a market maker mm. you know look when you call somebody a market maker means mm. there's no market there's yes. somebody who's making the market and hence he is the one who's giving and taking supply and clearly he is not going to do it in a costless fashion mm. so if you if there is a market maker who needs to make money and yet give you a very fine pricing then he needs like a humongous amount of volume mm. because then instead of 1% he is okay to make 5 basis points but he wants 5 basis points on a huge volume mm. now if you're not going to have that volume then the spread will be higher because nobody is doing charity hmm. uh, so i think this is going to take time at least as far as the indian market is concerned okay uh, closing comments uh, from the both of you and if you're talking about the average retail investor and obviously on uh, bloomberg quint we have several very uh, in-depth conversations with individuals because we believe that everybody's context is is different and i want to put that disclaimer out but from the perspective of approaching uh, passive investment you said 20% of your uh, portfolio broadly is something that you can consider doing for the long term but even within that would you say that you can approach it sli- in a slightly nuanced manner you can look at a, a a split between the large caps because a lot of people i speak to on index funds talk about the sensex and the nifty they're the most visible but that's not necessarily the only option available in fact it clearly is not Yeah right so so the way i look at it would be twofold one is uh the risk profile of the person investing yes so i think uh, someone who's uh, relatively younger who could take a longer call who can take more risk should definitely do sort of a little bit more allocation to mid cap than a large cap mm. but uh, i think in indian context um i think what what you have to understand that you know i think indian markets are not as efficient as markets in the west mm. so i think um, even though so i think ideally the reason why index funds or etfs have taken off is because a lot of people today assume that you know large cap funds will not outperform the index so because those stocks have become very efficient so so i would say for an investor who is looking to sort of invest in their large cap mutual fund mm-hmm. can also look at allocating some of their portfolio into a large cap index fund or an etf Yeah. All right. So yeah. that's that's I I think that broadly covers the concept that we had to cover today and passive funds. If you have any questions dear listener do write to us on any one of our social media platforms and I'm sure my friends here will be more than happy to help you out. Yeah, sure. 
I'd like to thank both of you for joining me on this conversation. Thank you so much, Pratik and Ashish, for helping our viewers out. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, thanks much. for having me. All right, so that's all we have on this podcast. But you know, there's a lot more that we've discussed already on BQ Big Decisions. If you'd like to listen to any of those conversations, you'll find them on one of our podcast channels or in fact on the website bloombergquint.com if you're looking for other coverage on personal finance you'll find that on the website as well thanks so much for listening this is alex matthew signing off have a great weekend if you enjoyed big decisions check out some other podcasts on the ivm podcast network you can check out paisa vaisa hosted by anupam gupta advertising is dead hosted by varun dugirala the ronnie screwwala podcast hosted by ronnie screwwala or cyrus says hosted by cyrus procha These shows are available on the IBM Podcast website, app, or wherever you get your podcast from. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune in to Know Your Kanoon with me, Amber Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from. I hope you enjoyed that show. We'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Intel Storytel and Cambly. And let me tell you a couple of things that you should check out this week. Our Mr. and Mrs. Binge Watch, Janice and Aryu, talk about season three of Netflix historical drama The Crown, and they list the TV shows and original movies they're looking forward to in the month of December. On Geek Fruit, Tejas is joined by fellow geek Vikas Munipale, and they talk about the ever-expanding world of video games. On Know Your Kanu, Number talks about the Transgender Persons Bill of 2019 and highlights the problems that one must look at in the bill. On Edges and Sledges, Ashwin, Varun, and DJ talk about all that went down in the Pink Ball Test, speculate about MS Dhoni's retirement, and look ahead to India's T20s versus West Indies. On Gold Gappa, Tripti is joined by Arthi Vadak Balkar. She talks about experimenting with one's comfort zone as an actor and her brand Color Chop. On paperback, Racheta and Satyajit are joined by writer Deshant Huria, who discusses his first published novel called "When Karma Goes Upside Down." Thanks and keep listening.